Hey there, I'm Dana, a registered dietitian and registered dietitian exam tutor. And this is my podcast where we go over all of the questions that have been posted to my Facebook page, Registered Dietitian Exam Study Group with Dana over the past week. And we not only chat about the answers, but why are they the answers as well as answer any questions that students have posted on the page throughout the week. This is a weekly podcast, so be sure to tune in each week for new questions. And of course, I would love to see any of you guys at the live version of this on Sunday nights at 8 p.m. Eastern time. So let's jump into our practice questions. So the first practice question we have is from a student. They said, hi, do we need to memorize the Harris-Benedict equations? I have the Mifflin-St. George memorized, but not sure about the Harris-Benedict. And so with the predictive equations, you do not need to have these memorized for the exam. What you do want to have memorized is thinking about their accuracy, right, and when they are going to be used. So one thing to think about here is the Harris-Benedict equation is pretty inaccurate. It's really not good for old people. It's also not good for overweight or obese people either. So I like to think we hate Harris-Benedict because one of the most common questions my students will get on the um, will get on the exam when getting asked about the predictive equations is which one is the least accurate. And the answer for that one is going to be Harris-Benedict. So think we hate Harris-Benedict. So next one we have is a question from Lori. And this is definitely one everyone asks all the time because it's like, what is the conversion for this? We never think about this. So the question is, the crate, or the crate of oranges weighs 45 pounds and holds 128 oranges. How many crates are needed to produce eight gallons of orange juice? And... Really, this is kind of like a factual-based one where, like, there's no, like, magic way to be like, okay, let me think about the last time I squeezed an orange or blah, blah, blah. Um, these kind of facts just kind of fall into the area of the exam that I call, yeah, sure, okay, where you're just like, yeah, sure, okay, I guess that's it. Um, so for this one, what we want to be thinking is that 12 oranges is going to be a quart of the orange juice, which is 30 um, a quart is 32 ounces, right? There's going to be four quarts in a gallon. So if I'm looking for, if I'm looking for my eight, my eight gallons, right? I'm going to end up needing 32 quarts of my orange juice to get that amount, um, to get that amount that we need. So if we're thinking that we have 128 oranges per crate, right? That's what we said. And we're thinking there's 12 oranges per quart, which we said was again, are yeah, sure. Okay. Why not? Fact that's saying we need about 10.66 quarts kind of per crate. So if I'm trying to get to 32 quarts and I have 10.66 quarts per crate, that's meaning that we need our three crates. So that one is definitely very difficult to solve if you do not know that. So if you didn't write that down, take a pause now and have that factoid that 12 oranges is going to equal one quart of orange juice. And also in the comments of that question, we had a student who was like, I wish I had a list of the equations. And as a reminder, my equations study guide comes included with any math class you're taking. 
whether that's a live math class or equations part one, equations part two, the math bootcamp, you will get it with that course. So if math is a trouble area for you, definitely check out the math bootcamp. That's pretty much kind of like my all-inclusive math class where if, you know, I always love to see you guys one-on-one -on -one too, but if you're like, I feel like I need one-on-one -on -one tutoring, but I'm not sure if it fits in my schedule or my budget, that is the best class for you to take. And with my courses, whatever time period you select them for, one week, two week, a month, you get unlimited access. Go back and re-listen to those multiple times. Okay, next up, we have a question from a student and they said, can someone please go over Pareto and Impart? And so this is a really great question and this is actually one I go over in my management class because if you've taken any of my classes, you guys know I love visuals. So if you're hearing Pareto, Gantt, and PERT chart, and no, that's not pancreatic enzyme replacement therapy for this one. If you're thinking those and you are not imagining a chart in your head, I want you guys right now to make a note. Or if you're listening to the podcast, take a little pause and do this. But I want you guys to make a note to Google, go to Google Images, my best friend, go to Google Images and put in um, and put in Pareto chart search, okay? Right, for that to say, that Gantt chart search, PERT chart search. And you, that way you're gonna be able to pair not only the definition, but also the picture. And it's just going to make you, help you to remember so much better. So let's start out with the Pareto chart. And so when we're thinking about a Pareto chart, the question we're asking ourselves is, you know, What's our problem? So in my students' homework for this section of the exam, I ask them, you know, what are barriers to studying for this exam? So you're asking yourself, like, what are causes of the problem? And so often they're like distraction, motivation, you know, difficulty of the exam question, schedule. So you're kind of listing out for your Pareto chart, what are your different barriers? And then the next thing you're doing is you're saying, well, what is kind of the number one barrier? So I would say, like my students, usually a huge barrier for them can be motivation, right? Before they start tutoring, because they're like, I'm studying for this on my own. You know, I have a job, you know, already. Maybe I, you know, am questioning, do I need to take the RD exam? I've already failed it. So the motivation for them is number one, right? And then maybe organization is number four. So when we kind of have that information, it's helping me to say, you know what? With these barriers ranked, I want to spend my time and attention on the number one barrier, right? Because solving that first largest barrier is going to help solve the most issues, right? It's going to help you a lot more to get tutoring if you're not feeling motivated than to buy, you know, folders and colored pencils to keep you, to keep you organized. So that's the Pareto. You're saying, what's my problem? What are the barriers? And then you're ranking them to kind of say, what should I tackle first? The next one is the Gantt. So Gantt is a project management tool, which is different than Pareto because Gantt is helping us to see more of a timeline. But here, I'm kind of putting out my steps of the project, but I'm putting dates on them, right? So like an example of this is if we make a study schedule for you, right? And we might be saying, okay, from November 6th, to November 8th, you're studying domain one. And then starting on the 9th, 
you're studying domain two. So you're almost having kind of like a chart with these overlapping bars that are telling you a task, duration, and dates. So this is for a project that you have a timeline for, right? So for all of you guys, an example of a Gantt chart would be to put your study schedule. And you're like, we're studying this here, this here for this many days, this timeline. PERT chart is very, very similar, except there's no dates. So this could have a duration. It's going to have a task. But those bars aren't going to have start on November 6th. So an example of that, this might be for you guys who want to start a private practice, right? You're like, oh, I, I don't know when I'm going to do these tasks because I need to pass my RD exam first. But once I do, you know, it's going to take me six months to get credentials with insurance. And during that time, I'm going to file my LLC. And then, you know, here I'm going to make a logo. So both project management tools, Gantt has dates, PERT does not. Um, and then Pareto isn't necessarily going to be like a calendar. Pareto is like, what are my barriers? So again, with those ones, the best way to learn these things is look at a picture, make a definition that you can understand, right? So the definitions we just talked about, right? That's how you'll find I teach my classes. There are things you can remember, right? You're like, oh, this one is me going over my barriers with Dana. You know, that's the Pareto, right? The Gantt is me making a study schedule. The PER is like my goal to start a private practice. So always remember you want to kind of put the definition in something that makes sense for you. Look at a picture and make sure you're putting kind of a real, a real world example, a real world example on that one too. Okay, next up we got a nice math one. So grab your pen, your paper. And I know on the podcast it's hard to list to kind of like if you're walking you know, to be doing these. So again, just listen along, make a note. Maybe you want to loop back when you are kind of sitting down. So this student's saying, how do we solve this? So let's take a look. So this is definitely one of those long paragraph, long questions that all of my students hate, right? So we always remember going an open mind with these questions because if we go into the math going, I hate this, you're going to kind of set yourself up for not understanding, getting it wrong. So let's see. The hospital budget for the first six months is set for 80% occupancy. Budget figures um, for this level, right, this level of occupancy are listed below. The second six months will have an occupancy of 60%. What would the food cost budget be for the second six months? So, right, I want to read the question and be like, okay, what does it want me to do? So I kind of go back and I'm like, okay, it's telling me that the numbers, and I'll read those to you in a second, that they're giving is at 80% occupancy. And then we want to find out what is what are those corresponding numbers for 60% occupancy. And we want to know what would the food cost budget be for the second for the second six months, right? So what we're saying, what we're saying here is let me first kind of look at the information. So they're saying for 80% occupancy, food cost is $30,000, labor cost is $25,000, operating costs are $24,000. So kind of at first glance, it's really easy to be like, oh, I don't have enough information. But remember, anytime you have a percent, you have a proportion. 
So what I'm thinking, right, is 80% is 80 over 100. And I'm saying that my food cost at 80% is $30,000, right? And so what I'm thinking there is that is kind of 80% kind of of the total, the total food cost if there was 100% occupancy. So what I want to be doing is I want to be setting up a portion here. So I'm going to have on the left-hand side of my equation, 80 over 100, right? That's our 80% equals 30,000, right? Which is our food cost at 80% over X, which would be my food cost at 100%. Then I'm going to do my favorite math of my cross multiplication to solve. So I'm going to have, end up with 80 times X on one side of my equation. And then I'm going to be doing 30,000 times 100. Can we do this with a, out a calculator? Absolutely. If you're doing it with a calculator, have no, have no shame here. Right. So then what we're adding, we're ending up with here is we're having $3 million on our left hand side because we took 30,000 and then added two more zeros. And always when we get so many zeros, I'm like, oh my God, it gets confusing, right? So we have three and then we have, um, so we're having three and then we're having after that, right? We added in our two more zeros. So we have, we're doing our 100 times our 30,000. And so then we're ending up with one, two, three, four, five, six, six zeros. Gotta double check myself because that's so many, so many zeros. Okay. And so then what we're doing is we're dividing that by, by 80 because, right, we said that was equal to 80 times X. So we divide that by 80. So I'm saying my food cost at 100% is 37 um, thousand five hundred, right? And if we said, uh, did I do that right? Right, because we're like, oh, that was a lot. That was a lot of zeros, right? All I would need to do is do my thirty thousand divided by three thousand. Um, my thirty thousand divided by my thirty-seven thousand five hundred, and it's eighty. Perfect. So then I'm saying, well, what is it at sixty? So if I know thirty-seven thousand five hundred is my one hundred percent, I'm just gonna do that thirty. 7,500 times 0.6, and that is going to give me $22,500. So remember, anytime we have a percent, it's really kind of telling us already a proportion. So I love to kind of cross multiply there. Okay, the next one was a question for me. I always love when I get to ask you guys questions. Again, you can always submit your questions too, and I'll, I'll kind of push those ahead of mine. But I always like to sneak in a question too, especially when there's something that comes up in group classes or one-on-one -on -one sessions I'm like, oh, everyone will benefit from. So this question, as I was saying, when a patient takes metformin, how would this in, um, impact glucagon? So when we're thinking about metformin and all of our diabetes medications, we want to always think about the mechanism. So with metformin, this is an oral glucose lowering agent, and that has two mechanisms. 
Number one, it's making our cells more sensitive to insulin. So this is like the old people, right? Walking, they're like, they're like, my body has insulin. Like metformin just helps me use it better. So we're allowing the body to be more sensitive to insulin, but also we are having a second mechanism of decreasing glycogen breakdown, which is going to be decreasing glucagon. So if we have a patient taking metformin, how is this going to impact glucagon? This is going to suppress glucagon because what we don't want our body doing is breaking down glycogen when our blood sugars are high, right? Normally between our meals, glycogen is being broken down by glucagon stimulating it to get broken down. But in someone with diabetes, their blood sugar is already high, even when they're not eating. So we want it to kind of get so definitely you want to make sure you know the mechanisms of your drugs. Definitely check out the medications and interactions course if that's a trouble area for you. That's going to break it down for you. Okay. Next up, how many FTEs can you hire with a weekly budget of 8640 if the salary is going to be $12 per hour? So what I'm thinking about here is the first thing I have to be thinking about is Okay, what's an FTE and what time period are we in? So I'm in a week. So an FTE here is going to be 40 hours per week. So I would kind of right away translate that to money, right? So if I have someone who's getting $12 an hour times 40 hours a week, that's saying that one FTE is going to equal $480. So... If I take 8,640 divided by 480, that's telling me I can hire 18 people if this is going to be my budget. Okay, next one we have another FTE one. So it says a department has 43 employees that work the following hours. How many FTEs are in the department? So we have 25 employees at 40 hours a week, 12 employees at 20 hours a week, 6 employees at... 10 hours a week. And so with this, what I would recommend doing, and again, with your math, you want to stay organized, is I would just kind of take each line and multiply it out and then divide everything by 40 hours at the end, right? So 25 times 40 is going to be 1,000 hours. 12 times 20 is going to be 240 hours. And then 6 times 10 is going to be 60 hours. Remember, no shame in using your calculator because you want to make sure you get it right. So I add up the one, oops, I add up the 1,000 plus 240 plus 60, and that gives me 1,300, and then I'm dividing that by 40. So I would need to hire, in total, 32.5 FTEs. And as a reminder, you do not need to round. Usually we can keep it at one decimal place because what you want to think of is, you know, it's not half a person. That's someone working 20, 20 hours a week, right? It's a 0.5 FTE. So like for my job, I'm 24 hours a week at the hospital. So if you did 24 divided by 40, I'm a 0.6 FTE, right? I'm not like divided in half. That's 24 hours in a week. So don't get nervous with rounding. Um, don't get nervous with rounding your F, your FTEs. That's totally kind of acceptable and normal. Okay, next one we had from me. 
I said, if we're using hypocaloric feeding for obese ICU patients, how many calories per kg should be given? And this is from the Aspen guidelines. It's 11 to 14 calories per kg with one gram of protein per kilo. And so we had a kind of a follow-up question with that where people were saying like, what's the rationale behind this? Because especially if you didn't see this done, it kind of goes against, quote-unquote, a lot of the things we're talking about when we're talking about treating obese patients. And what we're thinking is we know that in catabolic patients under stress, they are not going to be able to metabolize their fat, right? So if I have an obese patient, we can't just put them on a nutrition holiday and have them, quote-unquote, like use their fat stores. And so what we want to do, though, is we want to kind of pump them up with protein so that they're not losing any of their lean body mass, but that hypocaloric intake, but adequate protein is going to result in preservation of their lean body mass while helping them to, you know, slowly decrease that fat mass. And why we would want our patients who are obese to lose some weight in the ICU um, is primarily for two reasons. Number one, we're concerned for their risk of pressure injuries. When you are obese and overweight, bed-bound, more weight is going to increase your risk of pressure injuries. And then also, too, when we do finally get them off the ventilator and they're working with PT, it's going to just be easier for them to mobilize, too. Thanks for tuning in for this week's practice question review. Don't forget that we are doing these live on my Facebook page, Registered Dietitian Exam Tutoring with Dana RD, every Sunday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, and I would love to have you join live. You can also head to my website, danajfnutrition.com, to find out about the latest classes as well as study tips and services. Thanks for tuning in.